Yes, Red Pill listeners, episode three, three of 2018. <laughs> yes, you did I wasn't, even, I wasn't even going to mention 2018. <laughs> I wasn't even going to mention 2018. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it's obviously happened. last episode I was in the hot seat. Um, I mm. still feel naked. It's taken ages to put back on my clothes. That's how, <laughs> that's how naked I was. I think someone stole them. Um, but even so... Um, this week, very exciting. Um, I'm personally really looking forward to this particular episode. <laughs> We're rounding off the um, first of the, the Hot Seat series um, yeah. with, of course, Liv, um, who yes, was um, <coughs> obviously co-host of the Red Pill. Um, you might recognise her as the posh lady on the other side of the airways. <laughs> um, she's so much more than that. Um <laughs> Mm. Liv, I'm really genuinely excited to have this conversation with you um, because, and I, I knew James before Red Pill. Like, even if just briefly, you know, I had a bit more time. But you, you and me, we only really had the like two hours every two weeks, <laughs> and I feel like mm. I'm getting to know you so much now, and like yeah. I'm really enjoying that process. Mm. Um, I guess I want to start mm. this off by asking you, um, Red Pill. How did it even come into the equation? Um, from what I understand, you actually asked to come on, if I'm correct. I did. <laughs> um, so me and James were having a chat, because we used to work together. And uh, we were on... I was going to say you used to. I know, sad times. Yeah, we were on lunch break, and I just asked James what he'd been up to at the weekend. He mentioned he'd been on this really cool radio show. <laughs> and I thought it sounded really fun. Um obviously picked apart what you guys were up to a bit and he mentioned that you you were both um presenting and um I don't really know much about anything but I figured you might need a producer um so offered up my services um James was pretty coy um and uh, decided he'd have a chat with you Dan obviously and um whilst he's doing that I rang up my cousin who actually is a producer and asked him how the fuck you produce the radio show <laughs> I could be um, well informed and then yeah I kind of went from there but I guess why I wanted to do it was um, I just thought it sounded really really fun and I just think life is so short and um, I used to be quite into writing and I've sort of lapsed a bit and I figured it would be an interesting way to to get back interested in politics and re-engage with life a bit I felt like I'd been hiding a little bit for a while so what kind of thing did you write about politics okay like what like topics and that sort of stuff oh just anything that kind of tickled my fancy really yeah actually what in what in what way did you write about were these personal observations was this stuff that was broadcasted to the world it was personal I wrote a paper about the welfare state for a think tank that we had at university and then I wrote a few blog posts on Huffington Post Nice, that's really cool. So you mentioned that you kind of wanted to get into Red Pill to have a little bit of fun and reconnect with the world. Yeah. Did you achieve that? (laughs) 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 Definitely on both fronts. I get such a buzz out of every show we do. Like, Sunday night, you know, it can be a tough um, thing to get yourself psyched up for and stuff, but... Honestly, after every single show, I'm literally buzzing and we all just, like, have a big hug. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask, what did you... So I've been going to Mo for like three years yeah. and like I'm, you know, whatever, I was familiar with those kind of environments and settings. What did you think when you pulled up, when you got there and it's in the middle of a council estate and they're like iron doors and you have to get through three locked sets of doors to go in there? What were your, what sort of feelings were emerging? I was really excited. Sick. Yeah, I was really, <laughs> really excited. I think it was exactly what I was looking for, really. A little bit of a escape, something a bit different. So, um... 
it being that edgy, yeah. So where do you actually like? Where do you come from? Like, we, we asked you, we started, where did you start? What's your yeah, yeah, name? Where you come yeah. From? Yeah. Well, my name is Laura, <laughs> but the full name is Olivia, and I'm from Cambridge. Mm. Yeah, south, just south of Cambridge, nice little village. So how's your like? How's your like? How's how's that for you growing up? What was that like? What was what um, was your home? Yeah, <coughs> as a, I well, yeah. Contrary to you, Dan, I lived in two homes. Um, one was on one street and the other one was basically a parallel street, so really <laughs> close by. Mm-hmm. And we moved when I was about um, about 10 and it was very traumatic. Because why, I did you, why did you move from... Oh, just to, um, just to move into a bigger house, actually. Oh. So I was really, I was in a nice, lucky position. But I had a really nice bedroom in my old house. And then I was really cross that we had to move. So I chose the shittest room of the house. <laughs> and we moved. And I like, obviously thoroughly regretted it ever since then. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was good. It was, it was a nice upbringing. Went to the local primary school, comprehensive, and then went to the local comprehensive secondary school. And then the comprehensive sixth form after that. So going to so li- so living in an affluent area at that time, yeah, and going to a comprehensive school, um, were the kids there very different? Like, they, how was it like? How were the kids like in that school in general? Um, I, I guess it was a mixture. Like we had some friends. I had friends who were from my village, mm-hmm. and we were all kind of in the same sort of group. And then friends who lived in a neighbouring village. Um, <coughs> it was it was a mixture really. So mm. there was. Um, lots of people like me with two working parents mm. and then some people who had two parents on benefits I guess um, some people who had very, one very. parent you know what was, the, what was the melt like how, how did people mix together mm. actually do you know what we all rubbed along quite well yeah we all had good crack we had really good crack um, always good I mean everyone had yeah. everyone was in their different groups and all that kind of <laughs> jazz but um, we did end up merging kind of more and more I'd say like over, over the years, yeah. So like, when anyone gets to know everyone's personality and that sort of stuff, exactly. it just starts to become. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's quite cool. Um, so um, I was going to say, so do you feel like, um, say, growing up, so growing up around different people, do you feel like that gave you a different outlook on life? What kind of outlook on life do you say? And what was the mood in school? Like, what was it like yeah. going to a comprehensive school? And did did your parents want you to go to comprehensive? Why did they choose? Did they want you to go to a comprehensive um, school? Yeah, okay, well, I suppose it's affected me quite a lot because I've, I felt for a long time really, really passionate about the education system. I just felt like it was really flawed. And I felt really sad for the kids who couldn't go home and get help from their parents with their homework or didn't have any quiet space or a desk, you know, to be able mm. to, to do their homework. Mm. And I felt sad for kids who just clearly <coughs> weren't cut out for learning, like, three foreign languages alongside stuff right Mm. or you know trying to just get on with like huge amounts of history and Mm. and things that just didn't fit you you know like from a certain age what you're going to be interested in what you're going to like resonate with and what's going to work and what's not going to work and I felt like for lots of the young men I suppose like the kind of teenage boys at my school 
um, so much of what they had to do nine to five or like nine to three was such a struggle for them and it eroded all of their self-confidence and that just that just mm. absolutely killed them and it sent them to all sorts of extremes to try and prove themselves all the time like yeah. you know getting into drugs or like getting into fights and just being like a total like annoying piece of shit but you <coughs> could just see that it was because they had no self-worth and that was all coming down to the fact that they couldn't prove themselves through this kind of <coughs> archaic educational system. I felt mm. really, really, really fucking cross about it. Did you know this at the time, or was it something? Yeah, that you no, I them? felt I felt so cross about wow. it at the time. And also, there were kids that would openly be like, "I don't need to care about this because mm. I've just got benefits like my parents." Mm. You know, so you, Whoa. yeah. Well, what what instilled um, the importance of education to you? Why was education so important to you? Um, my mum's a teacher. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. so I guess she'd always been quite a firm believer in that. Mm. My my parents both went to university. They met at university, and also mm. uh, quite a few of my grandparents went to university as well, which is really rare for that generation. So we kind of have this super educational background. Mm. Like my granddad's got a PhD and stuff. And um, also, you growing up in Cambridge. Oh yeah, genuinely, it's an educational town. Yeah, it's, it's just <laughs> university the everywhere. <coughs> There's bookshops everywhere. Everyone loves geeking out. Mm. Geeks are still like <laughs> the fittest thing to me ever. So, yeah, it's like it just kind of leaves this little mark on you. The geeks you are nice. Um, so there was that, but then also like for ages, I really, really hated school. I didn't enjoy it at all. The classes were really big, and everyone was kind of acting the maggot, and mm. you know, it's just like the most stressful environment. But I just felt like it just didn't really work for anyone. Mm. So now you're in a big smoke, the big bad smoke. <laughs> yeah. and, I mean, some could say you live maybe a bit of a double life, or have lived a bit of a double life, really, in respect of sort of background and your interests and stuff like that. I'm not really scared to sort of muck in, shall we say? <laughs> mm. Is that fair? I don't know, really. I, d- I don't know, because I don't feel like uh, I've kind of tried to cover <coughs> up one aspect of my life from another, per se. Mm. Um, when I moved to London, it was to go to university, but I moved straight to Camberwell, where the halls were. So it was yeah. already, like, you know, South London. And... Immediately. Yeah, exactly. And I never really wanted to leave South London. I've always really enjoyed it around there. So I'm potentially not really I wouldn't say I've lived a double life but then I think there's just two sides to the coin like if if someone says like oh you know tell me a bit about yourself I could say my name's Olivia I'm from Cambridge and I love horse riding all of those things are true but I'd feel really embarrassed about saying that and I'm I would much rather say like oh my name's Liv and um yeah, I love hanging out in Peckham going to bussy building Mm. it's it's interesting Mm. that you say that why why do you feel that you would be embarrassed to say that um I think growing up in the era that I did which were kind of like the Tony Blair years at at school that um you were just taught to just really resent posh people really resent people with money um and anyone with a shred of privilege and Mm. I think people in my age group really learned to to start covering that up and to start hiding that and I think that's so unfair um, I do. I do still think that's kind of mm. sad. And when you, when you know, occasionally comments slip out on the show, and I think actually, like, is that a justified point of view, or is that just a kind of archaic, like, 
oh, well, they're rich and Tory and, like, whatever kind of thing. Mm. I don't think you can hate on rich people just for the sake of them being rich. You just have mm. to accept that some people are rich and some people are poor. And I'm by no means, like, rich. But I know I'm a lot richer than a lot of people in the country. So the question is more, what are you going to do with that richness? Are you mm. going to, like, pretend that you don't have it? Or are you going to use it to do something really great? And it's the same thing with education, you know? You might not have all the money in the world but if you've got a university degree then you're in a much better position than lots of other people and Mm. how are you going to use that for the greater good for society so i would like to explore that a bit further because um i haven't seen that so much and the area that i grew up in was as we've discussed on the previous show um quite working class area but there wasn't so much resentment like a bottom line resentment to anyone who had money there was um generally a source behind it are there any specific examples you can use of something you've experienced where you've seen that sort of resentment towards rich people as a bottom line? Oh, maybe we're just so entrenched then that we just have our own like perceptions of what each other are thinking and we just never talk about it. I don't know, really. I, th- I just think, you know, you get the odd comment when you were growing up, you know. Yeah. Like, mm. Just nicknames and stuff. Or just people saying things <laughs> around. Yeah. Okay, the question I was going to say is, um, uh, so, uh, so through that, so because what I found weird is that a lot of people associate like Tony Blair and New Labour with um, that Labour looking after the rich, like champagne socialism. Yeah, yeah, champagne socialism. Yeah. So I find it so to associate with that as well, it is quite interesting. It's a different perspective that mm. people fail to look at, and I can't say that whether I noticed it or not because I wasn't on the end of. The receiving end. Yeah, the receiving end. So I, I couldn't have said it. Um, but in an essence, I would say that there were moments of time where I was a bit more wealthier than people around me and they probably did feel a way about that. Mm. So um, for you, do you think that's changed or do you think that is still going on right now? The snobbery <laughs> yeah. rich people. Yeah. Oh, it's like, it's rife. You think it's more now than it was before? Um... I'm not sure I could say if it's more or less. Okay. I don't, I, I'm not sure you, I could you say think that. You say different. But I, no, I still think people like really hate on rich people. Okay. I feel kind of sad about that, really. Explain if how. It's, if it's unjustified. It's if it's unjustified. unjustified. Well, um, I, I, it's, I mean, it's interesting thinking about like the Tory party, for instance. Mm. I like, I don't think their intentions are terrible. Mm-hmm. I've been really surprised at some of the moves that they've made over the past few years. And I think the the party has changed so much that it it's hardly what you would conceive the Conservative Party would look like nowadays if you thought about it like 10 years ago or something. It's really, really changed. Yeah. I I, but they have, obviously they just haven't done themselves any favours and they've had these kind of string of PR disasters <coughs> which all seems to centre around privilege and being a posh twat really not all of it but a lot yeah. of it yeah do you think and for instance like with the, right, but mm-hmm. with the rise of interest in Corbyn you mm. know like he's really 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 resonated with people mm. Mm. and they just feel so out of touch in comparison to that and it is a like it does feel like a rich poor thing mm. do you think when you said they've changed a lot do you think they've changed in the essence that they have uh, become more progressive or they've changed the necessity of that. this progressive thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying progressive, okay. Let me not use the word progressive, but do you think 
the the Conservative Party has changed more to understand people, and they've let in more people in their party that get people. Have they changed more? They're just a bit different in general. Like, what way have they changed? Like, okay, I, okay. I gave two options, but yeah, there yeah. could be more than there could be a third or a fourth. I think all <coughs> politics has completely lost touch with all people. I couldn't name a single MP who understands a single human being in our society. I would contest that, but I can give you one example. Mahiri Black. Oh, yeah. Who is an absolute legend from the SNP. Mm. But that's the one example I can use. Aside from that, I, I can really, really, yeah. I really like Dawn Butler as well, by the way, just to say. But Do you know what? Look, there's people yeah. I like, there's people, there's this, there's people, you know, who have good days, they have bad days, mm-hmm. all humans, etc. But um, <coughs> I just think they're really out of touch. And even Mary Black, I... Yeah, she's shat- Yeah, okay, I do. I really have a lot of respect for her, and she's shouting her corner. Yeah. But it's not, I don't feel Currently. like she's got a full understanding of the wider picture. Of the whole wider picture. No, yeah. I okay. don't. So I feel like the conversation, although very interesting and very red pill, is moving away from Liv. I want to <laughs> I, I fo- <laughs> focus on you. Okay. Um, one thing I'm very interested about, because obviously I think you're very good at presenting a, a very balanced sort of view and, and making sure that the conversation stays on track like that and making sure the wider view is represented. Like do what do you, what do you think it. of <laughs> how politics is discussed in this country? Oh, yeah, no, this is so interesting, actually, because we didn't talk about this before the podcast. But, um, yeah, ah, oh, this is... OK, right, how am I going to start this? So my, my background is um, a, an evangelical Christian family who voted Tory. What? Yeah. I'm not surprised by the Tory bit. But <laughs> I'm surprised that's the impact. Are you really? Mm. And, but not the kind of scary American kind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I wouldn't have thought so. No, the nice English Okay, kind. cool, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Sorry <laughs> dear American. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I've voted Tory like many times in the past and stuff. But anyway... Yeah. Um, this what is interesting to me is, for instance, with the gay marriage debate. Yeah, I think that was a real turning point in in British politics, where <clears throat> the focus was really on um, uh, offending people, and that there, there just seemed to be this real change in how we debated things. And I feel like we really lost a sense of debate. With that whole yeah, I agree issue. Yeah, totally I agree. The whole thing just seemed to be shrouded in sadness. I feel like we couldn't talk to each other properly about it. We couldn't sit down and have an honest conversation about it. I feel like we were always accusing the other side of not understanding and being completely out of touch and and you know homophobic mm. was a word that was just battered around all the time mm. and. Um, Many people who were very dear to me were against the gay marriage mm. um, kind of coming in. Yeah. And at the time, I, I actually was against it as well. I felt that a civil partnership was the perfect answer because it could be, you know, everything that you would get legally from a marriage, but this kind of ancient Christian tradition of marriage, mm. which is where it's bred from or whatever spawn yeah um could sort of be maintained as it was and i didn't see um i didn't believe that you know christian friends of mine or whatever who also felt that way were homophobic or whatever yeah you know? and it was so so sad 
to see everyone being called that and and then being really scared to have an honest conversation about why they felt that way. Because yeah. you just felt like you couldn't open your mouth about it. <clears throat> and then I felt really out of love with politics. I just thought, this is so crap. We're just, we're just all shouting at each other and accusing each other of things. And that also was the beginning of not being able to change your mind about stuff. So people who'd yeah. previously said they were against gay marriage would come out and then say, actually, I've changed my mind about it. They were still hounded. Yeah, yeah, and they yeah. were still called homophobes, and yeah. they weren't—they weren't given any sense of kind of redemption or anything like that. Um, mm. So there was; mm. those were two really big changing points for me: the fact that you couldn't talk about things, and the fact that you couldn't change your mind, and that really scared me. And I stopped talking about politics for ages. I used to have wild conversations with all my friends about it, and I also noticed that my views were upsetting people around me for the first time. Which wow. I hadn't appreciated before. I didn't. I didn't appreciate that before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just shut up. Very interesting. Um, Very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I feel and, the same way. But also, <laughs> I, I should clarify on this point since we're talking about it. I don't think people who are against gay marriage are homophobic. I think you can be homophobic and be against gay marriage. Yeah. But mm-hmm. one does not default to the other. And also for me, uh, I was living with. Um, a really dear friend of mine at the time, and we were watching what was happening in the States. And there was a state, I can't remember which one, but legalised gay marriage, and then later went back on it. Yeah. So thousands of couples had their marriages annulled overnight. Mm. And uh, that was awful. I mean, there's just no, there's no excuse for that. It's yeah. not okay to, to allow someone to build their lives and to give people the right to build their lives in a certain way and then rip the carpet from underneath their feet, mm, yeah. tear their whole lives apart. <clears throat> so um, I remember thinking at the time that, you know, I didn't think gay marriage was exactly the best thing to do, but that if, you know, if it was voted on and, and it was chosen to go ahead, that I would then fully support it and never want to see it retracted because mm. it's not fair once it's in it's in and yeah. it's a, it's a way mm. pe- of people building their lives yeah. and mm-hmm. it's you know if it's what our society wants to build their future on and then that's that yeah. and yeah i i now work in an industry with lots of gay people and you know that's that has completely changed my mind about a whole swathe of things but yeah. mm-hmm. i feel i feel really privileged to have friends who are gay and challenged me on stuff in a really loving way mm. to the point where I could change my mind about stuff yeah. and that's mm. so important yeah mm-hmm. I agree such a that good point that you made there such a good point mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Um, oh that's wicked I think we should do a whole episode on that one <laughs> <laughs> I agree I'm not even joking I agree I'm not um, even joking we've, <coughs> we've said the word throughout throughout this interview um, what does privilege mean to you? Open any question. Okay, it means having something that um, someone else doesn't necessarily have, but you can have more or less of it, can't you? So it's almost a ladder. You're, you're, everyone's on the privileged ladder. You might have a little more than someone else, but you would have a lot less than the next person, or you may have yeah. more than everyone mm-hmm. else below you. And do you feel that privilege is only ever associated with money? No, because you could be educationally privileged. Yeah. I suppose nowadays... How do you be educationally privileged? 
Well, I suppose <coughs> nowadays it almost goes hand in hand with money again because of the cost of degrees and masters and PhDs and things. But um, must be free. You can be privileged in the sense that you've um, you've had an education. You know, I think that's mm. nothing to be sniffed at. And um, you can also be privileged in a life experience kind of way. You know, you could you could have had all sorts of different experiences, some good, some bad, but actually... Fortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I would say it's a huge privilege <coughs> for people to travel. Mm. I feel really privileged to have travelled to the point where you kind of think, like, it's disgusting when you come home from your holiday. Like, this is what happened to me last time. And there were more tents down the road than there were when I left. I, I was gone two weeks. And what I'd done? Fucked about and had a great time. But... It's just it's just disgusting, like coming back and what have they done in this time? Like some more people are, are on the streets than when when you left. It's just, just such a disparity. What do you what do you want from Red Pill? <laughs> I know we talked about it a little bit at the start of the episode, but like moving forward, twenty eighteen, so I've been enjoying saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I really love interviewing people. You really do, don't you? Like you really <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, no, I just really like getting to know what what makes people tick and what's going on, and I find they challenge me all so much. I think on a, on a daily basis, I think about what Naheda and Adriana and like what all those other people have said to us this past six months. I yeah. think about it all the time. Yeah, and I just think about all the amazing things that they're doing, and like think about who we who we're going to learn about next. And I really hope that people who tune in. Mm. also get challenged by it and think yeah. yeah I'd really love to help that and I really want to get involved in this so, like I want more people to feel empowered about stuff nice and interested you personally um, so you've interviewed you've, met, you've interviewed many people on the show and we've seen you interview them but what issue would you say um, affects you um, a person what we'll be talking about and based on a lot of the current topics that are going on right now as well what like what's and resonated with me the race. Yeah. Um, I suppose that, well, there has been an underlying theme of feminism, which, like, I think we've all tapped into. <coughs> it's mm-hmm. with that. Um, I guess the one, the one episode that I did really, like, I think about all the time is the Adriana one when we talked about the sex workers. Ariana. Oh, Ariana. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> I think about that all the time. <laughs> Uh-huh. So, um, what's your view on feminism right now, of where it's at? I think it's in a really exciting place at the moment. Okay. Yeah, I think there's so many exciting things in the pipeline. I feel like everyone's waking up about stuff. Like, all of the women wearing black to the gold, Golden Globes, mm. you know, and mm. starting up charities which are going to start helping women in all sorts of situations. Like, I feel like people are just sitting up and listening. Have you always been a feminist? For as long as you can remember. That was a very weird question. Have you, <laughs> have you, have you, how long have you been a feminist even, for, would you what, say? Did we how even talk been? about feminism <coughs> when we were kids? I don't really feel like it was a thing. What were your views in line with what people would... I feel like the, the view of feminism is so much more stereotypical when we were growing up. What, burning bras? And yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's very cliche and yeah. very oh, far yeah. removed from reality. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe I didn't then. <laughs> <laughs> but would you say that you felt so the like the proper definition of feminism? What I've heard, conventional oh, yeah, feminism, is 
uh, wanting to the equality of women and men, just wanting them to be equal. So I therefore, suppose, if you want yeah. a woman to be and a man to be equal, if you're a man and you feel that way, then I you're think, a feminist. Yeah, I think everyone, <coughs> like, I mean, everyone identifies with that to a certain degree. But I think um, I did. I did worry slightly when I was younger that too much feminism might lead to an imbalance. I remember thinking slightly worried about that, that I didn't want to just keep shouting, uh, you know, like about women until, you know, we were all gone crazy about women or something. And I suppose uh, my view on that has changed now because I think what I saw with the Black Lives Matter campaign and the protest and like the sentiment behind it, there was that, well, there was also other people saying, oh, but well, you know, you mustn't forget white people and like, you know, there was this backlash of like, but if you could keep shouting so much about black people, then mm. it will it will get imbalanced. Mm. It's the same mentality, but actually that kind of showed me, I mean, I guess I'd changed my mind a bit about it before anyway, but um, that when there is a problem, like you do just, you just need to keep shouting about that problem until that problem changes. What's the difference between an empowered and an unempowered woman? Um, it's, it's difficult to say because... Um, people live in so many... Women live in all sorts of economic and societal, you know, differences everywhere, yeah. all over the world. So there's no one flat rule, is there? But I think... Sometimes I think when you're thinking of doing something, whatever it is, but you stop yourself from doing it, or you, you don't do it, mm. and you look oh, and you kind of analyse why you're not doing it, if it's because you're holding yourself back then that's, that's the definition of disempowerment for me. Nice. Stopping yourself from doing something for whatever reason it is. And that's why, I guess, that's... one of the UN rights cool. is uh, right to uh, not live in fear. Yeah. Right? Because that covers all manner of everything. Like, if you're scared of your boss because he might touch your leg again, mm. that's living in fear. Mm. But all, equally, you know, like, if, if ISIS is running after you, then you're also living in fear. You know, it's, mm. it's such a kind of scalable thing. Mm. Um, but we can heap fe- we can heap fear on each other for all sorts of different reasons. Like, um, you know, I'm I'm sure that some people might feel a bit snotty about me, like doing a radio show because I'm just sitting here chatting about myself, right? But what am I going to do? Like, stop doing the radio show because then they'll stop bitching about me behind my back or whatever. Tell them to come know. chat to me. I've got something to say. About <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. What about men? What, could, what about men in feminism? Like, what can they do? Like, how do you feel? As in, what's men's role yeah, in what's feminism? Role, role, yeah. <coughs> do you know what? Mm-hmm. It's listening. Okay. It's absolutely listening. There's so many stupid people, men, <laughs> who've come forward and sort of started saying things. Do you know what? They're, let's not call them stupid. Lots of them had good intentions. They've come forward and started to try and say stuff, to try and help. Um, but uh, this isn't their time to talk. You've had a millennia to talk. <laughs> this is yeah. time to listen. Hmm. Hmm. Nice. Definitely. Um, all right, cool. I don't really know where to go from there. Really. That's <laughs> a pretty good way to like round things off. Um, Definitely. Thank you. Thank yeah. you very much, Liv. Thank you for sharing all that. Um, right, okay, so... Pff, rah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, Liv just killed it, man. Awesome. Um, um, I'll say that um, I'm on a 
I'm going to spend more time listening when it comes to one oh, yeah. <laughs> Awesome. That's not just saying. That's you? not just game, by the way. That's not game, by the way. So if anyone's listening, that's not me just running game. I, I, I really mean. <laughs> I actually mean. <laughs> um, right. I'm not going to listen. <laughs> I'm going to talk. <laughs> now that's amazing. Um, I'm not sure what what we got up next for like TBC. Red Pill. TBC. All right, cool. Mm-hmm. Well, we will be back next week for the next episode of Red Pill. Once again, shout out to Liv. That rounds off the Hot Seat series very nicely. Hot Seat 1, by the way. Hot Seat 1. Hot Seat Volume 1. Guys, comment what what questions you want to ask, actually. Yeah, that's a good shout out. Because next time we'll put them forward. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Thank you very much, guys. All right, adios. Cheers. Adios.